the main difficulty I find for the Western mind, Western ego mind, is the paradigm shift from the belief in uh, the ontological reality of the world as a self-standing physical uh, reality into which one is born rather than realizing the world as a dream within consciousness and the self as an unknowable consciousness that is transcendent of the world. But once that shift has been made, then there really are no further obstacles <clears throat> to sustaining the freedom that that paradigm shift gives. Because once there is a realization that one is not the character that one is playing, then all of the characters, anxieties, and emotional issues all drop away. And not only is the self realized, but the non-duality of duality and non-duality is attained so that the character also surrenders and realizes the self. But it's not the character that first realizes the self, it's the self remembering that it's not the character. <clears throat> because Self is always self-realized. And the character does not reach the self, but the self penetrates into the character with its revelation of itself, which is the grace that is given to the character by one's self. And without that grace that you give to your character, the transfiguration and the liberation will not be uh, attained. So it is that union of duality and non-duality that is the key to that final uh, attainment of freedom. And if you read Sri Ramana, this is the main point that he is always emphasizing to every visitor. Just this, make this one paradigm shift and then all the dominoes fall spontaneously. There are no other questions or doubts or worries or issues because all the thoughts, all the questions are the character's questions not that of the self. And the character being unreal can never find its way out of the labyrinth that it is, but the self can give the grace that 
expels all the thoughts and the emotions out of the character through the presence of your being without doing anything. So I hope that's clear. So if you will allow me, I was going to read a few more selections of Brahmana from the talks. And uh, <clears throat> I think basically these selections reiterate the point that I was just uh, making from Ramana. So uh, a Mr. Shastri arrived and he had a doubt about uh, which he said had been cleared on reading a, a commentary on uh, Atmavidya, a, a book by Shankara. But the doubt was, how can the world be an imagination or a thought? Thought is a function of the mind. The mind is located in the brain. The brain is within the skull of a human being who is only an infinitesimal part of the universe. How then could the universe be contained in the cells of the brain, right? So this is the, the current belief system, I think, of the majority of the people in the West. And you see how uh, the educated Indians have been contaminated by it, right? Because this man was a philosophy teacher at the Madras University, right? So uh, he was not, however, an Indian philosopher. He was a Western philosopher. Uh, and I think that's one of the results of colonialism, unfortunately. And so Sri Bhagavan had to give a very in-depth in answer. Uh, but I'll read some of it without going into all of it. He says, so long as the mind is considered to be an entity of the kind you just described, the doubt will persist. But what is mind? Let us consider. The world is seen when you wake up from sleep. It comes after the eye thought. The head rises up, the mind becomes active. But what is the world? It is objects spread out in space. Who comprehends it? The mind. It's not the mind which comprehends space, itself space. This is a very deep point. What is your mind except the space of awareness in which those objects appear? And the space of your mind is the real space that you have projected, the mind has projected, as being outside of the body that is identified with as if it's the source of consciousness. Uh, so, uh, and the word space in, uh, in Sanskrit is akash, okay? So, uh, and, but akash means not only space, but it also means ether. And nowadays, they have rediscovered that ether is in fact a reality, right? The Einstein uh, denied uh, ether, and he was proven to be wrong. And, and now ether uh, is, uh, is recognized, as is uh, the plasma a state of, uh, of matter, which is that, that state that is uh, uh, superconductive, electromagnetic, and uh, is the basis of the, uh, the electrical nature of the entire uh, universe that is interconnected uh, through uh, that, uh, uh, that power 
And there's also another power that is underneath that, that is structural to the ether that uh, is referred to as scalar waves. I won't go into all of that, but, but it, it is basically an ether-based theory. So Ramana says the mind is the mental level of ether, manakasha, which is the subtler level of it, which is contained in an even more subtle level, the transcendental or uh, chidakasha. And the mind is thus the ether principle, the akasha tattva. Being the principle of knowledge as well, jnana tattva, it is identified with ether by metaphysics. Considering it to be ether, the akash, there will be no difficulty in reconciling the apparent contradiction in your question. Pure mind, shuddha manas, is akash, space or ether. And, and when it's understood as space, it's all containing. When it's understood as ether, it's the vajra power of transmitting energy through uh, the entire field of the cosmos, which is all interconnected and quantum entangled, meaning it doesn't go just at the speed of light, it is instantaneously present at all points. Whatever is interconnected uh, is immediately uh, affected by any change in any manifestation, any node of itself, right? So uh, the dynamic, uh, the rajas and the tamas aspects of mind operate as the gross objects and uh, activities and energies of the world. Thus the whole universe is only mental, but mental in a stepped down way. So more and more, uh, congealed and dense aspects of the mind are referred to as material or energetic in the rajasic level. Again, consider a man who dreams, he goes to sleep uh, and, uh, and he locks the door so nothing can intrude and yet uh, when he dreams he sees a whole world in which people live and move uh, and, uh, and seems to be a self-standing world. But did that panorama get in through the doors? Uh, no, it was just uh, unfolded by the mind. Uh, so uh, how, how could the brain hold a vast country like uh, appears in the dream in its tiny cells? This must explain the, the statement that the, the universe is a mere thought or a series of thoughts. And then a, uh, uh, a rebellious Swami asked, yeah, but I feel a toothache. Is that only a thought? And Ramana says, yes. And then he says, yeah, well, why can I not think that there's no toothache and then cure myself? And Ramana says, well, look, when you're engrossed in other thoughts, does one, feel, one doesn't feel the, the, the toothache. You can actually forget about it if you're busy in other things, or even if you're in deep meditation. When you sleep, the toothache isn't felt. And he says, yeah, but when I wake up, the toothache is there again. Uh, Ramana says, well, such is the firm conviction you have in the reality of the world that it is not easily shaken off. But the world does not become, for that reason, any more real than you are yourself as an individual, right? 
So you are the toothache, in a sense, as Ramana is saying, you know, because uh, you believe you are this body that has teeth and has aches, but that's a thought. And if you can really get rid of that thought, uh, there won't be any pain. You know, that's been discovered by hypnotists for a long time. And in fact, in India is where it was proven. The first um, surgery was done without anesthesia in India because the British who were doing the surgery, you know, there was a shortage of ether, actually, is what they were using uh, in, uh, in those times. And uh, they, they, uh, they, they turned to hypnosis. And, uh, and they could put people in such deep states, they could do uh, uh, total uh, surgery of, of major kinds without any uh, uh, chemical uh, anesthesia whatsoever. That's still done in China with acupuncture, which puts them in, in the same kind of a trance state. And they do major surgery. Uh, and, and in the West, one of the major things that kills people in surgery is an overdose of the anesthesia. So that, uh, you know, a little bit more than putting you to sleep will kill you, right? And, and it's, you know, micro, you know, grams of difference uh, can, can make the difference between uh, whether you come back from it or not. You may not care that you don't come back from it because you're in a blissful light, you know, in an out-of-body experience, but nonetheless, uh, the anesthesiologist is going to get sued up the yin yang by the relatives. So, but in any case, the point is the hip. It, it, you can, if you can do it with hypnosis, you can obviously achieve this with meditation. And if you are self-realized, there's going to be less and less um, concern with pain. And and even if it's there, it's there uh, without it being traumatic. So, and then the guy asked a question, well, you know, there's a Sino-Japanese war going on right now, and if that's only an imagination, could uh, Sri Bhagavan imagine the contrary and put an end to the war for us? And uh, Ramana says, well, the Bhagavan of the questioner. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the Members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.